This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! And now, it's time for Coach Hogg's Locker Room. Good morning, good morning. Coach Hall here in the locker room today in the beginning of our show on Monday. And we are happy to be here with the Melon Law Studio, Melon Law with 50 years of experience as the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. Melon Law will not back down. And Crime Prevention, of course, securing us with CPSS.net if you need help from them. All kinds of security measures available. And our mug shots here, which has 45,000 hits a month. So uh, Coach Hogg's got some interesting things, hopefully, to tell you today. Um, there is a really, I don't know, it, it's a well-kept secret. And by that, I mean that um, track does not draw the crowds that football does. And when I was hanging around the track in the early 70s, Coach Jimmy Carn said they probably never would draw the fans the track meets that Florida does, I mean that football does, unless we started throwing the javelin through people. There's a lot of truth to that. Uh, it's the violence of the collisions and all that of the football world that paradoxically draws quote-unquote civilized people to participate in it. If you ever wanted to know how much of a veneer civilization has over our savage behavior, all you have to do is take a look at the fans, the otherwise genteel fans of football, and you'll see that the veneer of civilization is extremely thin, uh, if it exists at all. All it takes a little trigger, you've got a flash of anger, or you've got a flash of violence, or you've got a flash of confrontation, uh, right at the surface of both so many, many elements of human society. But in track, it's a very refined, it's like ballet. It's extremely demanding to train for track. You're dealing with tenths of a second, hundredths of a second. There was a fellow who was disqualified for leaving the blocks a hundredth of a second early uh, in this world championship in Eugene, Oregon. And in case you're wondering why Eugene, Oregon really has become the mecca for track, all you have to do is think of Steve Prefontaine who was running the mile back when I was running with the track world in the early 70s. And of course, think about the Nike invention of the Nike shoe. Back when we were running, there were no American manufacturers making track shoes. They're making basketball shoes and football shoes. So we had to mail order out of track and field magazine, either uh, initially the Onitsuka Tiger, which came from Japan. And it was a nice shoe to wear. You could wear it without socks of light. And yet you could deliver a lot of uh, energy through the foot to the uh, track. And everything responded kinetically very well. Then along came this invention known as Nike and the waffle shoe bottom. And the rest is history. 
A Nike brand with a simple swoosh is probably the most successful brand in all of marketing. It's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. So Eugene, Oregon is where this all began in earnest. We were here at the University of Florida closely running a second uh, place. Uh, we had Shorter and Bachelor and Corey and people of this quality training here. And uh, it was a real mecca for the world's best to come here and polish their skills. And I had the good fortune to be out there on that track with them, uh, tagging along, if you will. So and I ran into Florida Relays in 72 and won the quarter mile in my division, which won the master division. I was 30 years old at that time. So I know a lot about what it takes to do this. And we have a coach now, Mike Holloway. I think he's been there for eight years, who probably is the best coach on the University of Florida campus. Now, I know there's a great coach over there in volleyball. I know there's some other people. But uh, football coaches come and go. Um, the baseball coach kind of uh, has ups and downs. And, uh, you know, individual players um, shine out, as you say, show out, as we say. But um, Mike Holloway, year in and year out, has created championships, both women and men, which is another interesting thing about his tutelage. And in this particular world championship, which just took place, I want to go through with you uh, just a, some of the accomplishments. Uh, and these are people coming from all over the world, from uh, Kenya, from England, uh, I don't know, you name it, they come here. Now, uh, there were a pair of gold medals in the 4x400 relay. We're running uh, 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 meters now instead of yards, and it's a little bit shorter but uh, in the way it's measured, but it's uh, extremely, every bit is demanding. And we have somebody named Champion Allison who once was at Alabama and came here, and Talitha Diggs, um, they were got a pair of gold medals in the 4x400 relay. They both ran legs on their respective relay teams, and that cruised to the gold medal and the sweep of the 4x400 relays. All of this is posted on the Gator News Service proudly. Um, and the second straight evening, because this is the other thing that's demanding about this track, you have to spare your energy and know when to release it, when to save it, when to really go all out because you're running so many races, so uh, one upon another. So you have to be in extremely good condition. Um, the second straight evening for Diggs, she provided the USA the fastest opening leg in the entire field. She was 50.5 out of the blocks. Abby Steiner from Kentucky was on this team. And uh, they cruised uh, into a 4x400 relay time uh, of 31779. Um, this is the first world medal for Dick. She's only 19 years old. And she saw, she captured the NCAA titles at 400 meters and three team titles with Florida and the U.S. championships over 400 meters. If you haven't seen somebody of her quality, go out next year to the Florida Relays at least and watch this young lady. Well, she then by, I assume, be 20 years old. Um, so she finished 10th in the 400 meters, merely, merely, uh, narrowly missing the final. Uh, and she was the 
only American woman to run in both the heats and the finals of the four by 400 relay. So Allison, uh, he was fourth in the 400 meter final and it gave him Saturday night off in the heats of the four by 400, but he was picked to run the anchor leg Sunday night. And uh, consequently the USA team raced a world leading 256.17 time. He's from Houston, Texas, and he ran a 44.4 anchor leg and uh, was well ahead of the competition coming down the back stretch. So that is uh, just a small story there about uh, those particular uh, people here from Florida. Anna Hall, a marvelous young lady. Uh, she um, is one of the greatest, greatest all-around athletes ever to be on the University of Florida campus. Um, she uh, put on a phenomenal display in her two-day 70-event heptathlon competition, which is grueling. You have to do all the events and pick up a total point, number of points. She got the bronze medal. I believe she's just 19 years old. Uh, she recorded three personal bests and a season's best on top of the outstanding displays she did in the 100 meters, the 800 meters, and the long jump. She's from Highlands Ranch, Colorado. Um, so, no, she's 21 years old. I'm sorry. She's 21. And that's no, uh, uh, you know, she got some racing years left in herself. So uh, she is um, uh, really something to go take a look at here. She is, her name is Anna Hall, and she won a heptathlon bronze. Now, we also have Grant Holloway, who successfully repeated as the world champion in the 110 meter hurdles. And uh, he swept the hurdles at the world championship. And he had a gold medal in the 60 meter, meter hurdles. Um, this is a fantastically fast guy. Um, he is a three time NCAA champion in the 110 meter hurdles. And he's a now a two time world champion. All this is before the age of 25. So um, he is uh, really, really something. He is um, uh, right in there with Anna Hall as somebody that the University of Florida has training right out here with Coach Holloway. And as I say, the relay sort of sneaks up well. I think it's got a different name now, but uh, it kind of sneaks up on it, sneaks even up on yours truly here who has um, been in the races and has um, now, as I've gotten older, of course, don't run like I did then, but uh, certainly uh, enjoyed it doing it when I was doing it and learned a lot about how to, how to um, push myself to limits I didn't really think I, I could get to. So uh, just wanted to alert you to the fact that championships are in the book now, they're done, but boy, we've got some great athletes here. Another thing that was phenomenal to watch, of course, are the pole vaulters, uh, the shot putters. Uh, it's just really the world's best at doing these sort of events. And they are really special athletes. There's no slacking out there in the track world. Uh, you don't get to, uh, uh, and it's individual. So if you mess up, you're out there for everybody to see. And you've just got to do uh, what you can do and train and be around the best. The best will push each other. So uh, keep that in mind. Um, there's another story here, of course, about football that I need to cover with you. And we've been covering for quite a while, and I need to do it here in Coach Hall's locker room. Um, there is, of course, 
all kinds of craziness going on as a result of players switching teams at the last minute, getting into the transfer portal, taking a look and see if they're getting a uh, possibility of playing and going somewhere else. And what this has caused on the field is um, it's really um, uh, pushed teaching of, as Lane Kiffin says, teaching the X's and O's uh, into the fall camp rather than into the spring camp. In spring camp, you try to get everybody acclimated to your program, uh, your particular philosophy, uh, your playbook, and uh, you practice it against each other. And by fall, you're in the game season. You shouldn't be having to do that. But now we've got so much uncertainty in the record number of college football players switching teams uh, that the uh, coaches are going to have another challenge. And they don't know right now exactly what to make of their team uh, with August just around the corner and all the football madness cranking up. Uh, some of them on paper, some of the teams on paper, as uh, has been reported by uh, several publications, Wall Street Journal, Sports Illustrated, places like this, um, they have uh, on paper really look good, uh, but it's not how clear how they'll do actually as a team on the field. Now, there's some NCAA data as of last week. There were 2,242 players from a football subdivision teams have entered the NCAA's transfer portal since August 1st, uh, 2020, And uh, even with 134 later withdrawing from the portal, it's a massive uptake. This has been brought about by the NCAA rules that eliminated restrictions for switching schools and gave all the athletes an extra year of eligibility due to the pandemic. So, the, the coaches have the same month-long window of time during training camp to install this, all their complex schemes and packages. And even Nick Saban says it's going to be very difficult to predict how your team is going to do because even he's been affected by this uh, jumping around and switching and um, players looking for a better deal. Um, so some of these coaches who have embraced transfers uh, like Ole Miss, um, they have uh, got, for example, 13 mid-year transfers, and he's added a dozen more since February, including nine players with four-star rankings on recruiting website 247 Sports. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's really going to be interesting to see how two things happen, how these teams play and whether or not the fans embrace this transfer portal stuff or whether it erodes fan loyalty. I suspect the fans won't care a hoot as long as their team is winning and there's big collisions on the field, so to speak. Um, but um, it's, uh, it's really a, a chaotic situation uh, right now in the world, of especially football, since it's coming up first. And uh, we're going to be able to kind of test the waters to see if this is going to be a good idea or uh, one that wasn't thought out very well. There is a human interest story that I want to talk about here for a moment as we get ready to exit uh, our part on Coach Hogg's locker room, and that is about a player named Bo Jackson. Now, a lot of you old-timers remember Bo Jackson. The young ones probably who are not in the athletic world don't know who I'm talking about. 
Uh, but the people in the jock world, even the young ones, will know about Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson is a multi-sport character of enormous talent. He was able to do something I think only Deion Sanders was able to do successfully anyway, uh, and that was play both football and um, uh, baseball and do it very, very well in the same career. We're not talking about having played one in college and then uh, focusing on the other in the pros. We're talking about playing them both in the pros. And uh, Bo Jackson was enormously powerful and big. And, and uh, there's a funny story about him that I know from one of the players who played with him at Auburn that Bo Jackson did not like to practice. And the coaches always would come to him and, Bo, you need to practice. And he would always say, why do I need to practice? I'm better than everybody out here. I can run over everybody and I'll be showing up on game day and you'll be following my comment. Well, he was right. And so there was always this kind of nip and tuck that uh, he wanted to get out of practice. And uh, I guess Steve Spurrier came along and kind of changed the old, let's beat each other up in practice kind of a philosophy that so many of the coaches had then. And um, they would kind of go easy on each other in, in practice and uh, then come out and play hard on weekends. I think Steve got this uh, from Coach uh, um, Bobby Dodd, I believe, if I remember uh, the story right, who was the gentleman's coach who believed that very same thing, that uh, you guys don't need to beat each other up. Uh, we'll run the plays, get your timing down, and then you go beat up the opponent on the weekend. There are a lot of coaches who didn't subscribe to that, but uh, um, there was a few that did. Now, Bo Jackson did something that I thought was worth talking about with you here. He was an anonymous donor who covered the funeral, funeral expenses for the victims of this Uvalde, I think I'm saying that right, school shooting in May. Um, they, the, the cat is out of the bag. He is the one who covered all the funeral expenses for those victims in that school shooting. He donated a $170,000 check to ease the financial burden on the families who had to bury their children. Of course, after a gunman killed 19 children and two teachers at this Texas school. Um, now, Bo was funny when he was asked about this. He made a comment. He said, uh, I don't know if it's because I'm getting old it's just not right for parents to bury their kids. It's just not right. I know every family there probably works their butts off just to do what they do. The last thing they needed was to shell out thousands of dollars for something that never should have happened. Now, Bo, as I said, was a multi-sport superstar. He played four seasons for the NFL Raiders, and he, was, he played eight seasons in, the, in, in Major League Baseball. He won the Heisman Trophy in 1985. He was selected to the Pro Bowl in 1990. Um, he would have played more had he not hurt his hip. I don't think he could have worn him out. Uh, he traveled out to the Texas school. He gave the check to Governor Greg Abbott just days after the shooting. He said the name of the town sticks in his mind, just the name. And he said he didn't know a soul there, but he was just moved by the incident and felt he had to do something. Um, the governor, 
I suppose with Bo's permission, announced the anonymous donation at a press conference on May 27th, uh, not necessarily using Bo's name. Uh, the governor said, we appreciate that anonymous donor for his generosity and we'll ensure that those resources get into the right hands and make sure that no family who is suffering from incalculable heartbreak at this time will have to worry about a single cost with regard anything concerning this travesty. Um, that's Bo Jackson. It's always, it always is something that, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of jocks think they're entitled all their lives. They want their meals comped. Um, they want you to um, take care of them. They've been taken care of all their life or they wouldn't be in the jock world. And um, they, they um, have a tough time letting go of it. And, and that was, that was just such a refreshing story that I thought uh, you might like, like, to, like to hear about it. Uh, I've got a story here now. I'm going to go local back into Professor Warthog's world. And um, I want to see if we can get production to put up the front page of the Tampa Bay paper um, on the screen. So um, when I get a high sign that that's going up, I'll talk about that. Okay, there it is. Thank you very much. You see that right there on the right? And we'll leave it up there, please, for a while, ma'am. Um, that's the Tampa Bay Times. That is the most widely circulated paper in the state of Florida, is what I understand. Uh, it used to be the St. Pete Times. And above the fold, as we say, which is an important place to be, you see a headline that is so interesting. Um, Tricked into voting, charged with fraud. We've been saying that all along. That headline is from the Ward Scott Files investigative team. We created this story from scratch. We've been letting you in on it from scratch. We've been tracing it through with you from scratch. And it's beginning to really get some prominence. Now, this story that they have put on the front page of the Tampa Times was originally published in uh, Publica, which is a uh, uh, online uh, 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 news uh, outlet. The uh, reporter came here and spent quite a bit of time here with our investigator. And of course, when you read the story, there's a lot of it devoted to uh, things that are irrelevant, but had to be in there. Uh, there was um, the idea that Florida's a racist state and this, that, one another. But this Tampa Bay Times got it right. Tricked into voting, but now being held responsible. That, that, uh, uh, that is uh, really what it's going to come down to because there's going to be trials about this. Some of these guys have asked for a trial. And that means that Kim Barton and TJ Pichet are going to have to take the stand. And we've always wondered why T.J. Pichet was quick to take the fifth. And we know that the FDLE investigation really suggested that there was some sloppy uh, responsibility on the part of the supervisor of elections here when it came to going into the jail. You have to remember that the people didn't go to the supervisor of elections office. The office came to them. There's quite a bit of difference. If I were one of those guys, I would say, wait a minute, if I wasn't, if I were not in the jug, 
And I went to the office and signed up and swore that I could vote. That'd be one thing. But you came looking for me. I didn't ask for you. You came looking for me, came into the jug and wandered around through here with a clipboard, I assume, I guess. It's hard to get the truth out of these uh, supervisor people, uh, apparently. I mean, because these guys disagree with the story. Now, you remember Kramer has exonerated the supervisor elections already. I don't know if that's going to hold. It, it, it's really, it's really going to be interesting because with a real good liar on the side of these guys, and you can cross-examine these people, make them tell the truth or hide, and the way they'll hide is they don't remember. Uh, uh, and I see Tim posting some good remarks here. Um, he, uh, you know, they, that you know, it, it's uh, you know, it's not it's not the same, by the way, as Dion McGraw's situation. You remember Dion McGraw is a grown gone, as they say. She grown gone from childhood. She's an adult now, and she, if she says she lives somewhere. And she comes down to the supervisor's office and says it. That's entirely different from the supervisor going into the hapless souls in the jug and saying, don't just trust me. Sign here. We'll figure it out later. I suggest to you that they never, the supervisor never, ever, ever thought anybody would ever, ever, ever check this. And guess what? This is just the tip of the iceberg. They're all the sex offenders. The sex offenders in Seminole County, there are already prosecutions of sex offenders. B, push that story. Sex offenders can never have their rights restored. And guy, these guys are some of the most dangerous of the dangerous. And they're out there going places like they're not in the jug. They're, they're out in society, supposedly. Society knows where they are all the time. And they go say they can vote. That is a slam dunk. No, you can't. And no, you know you can't. That's different entire. And there's a whole passel, as we say, of them. And more to come. But these 10 on the front page, let's show it one more time, please, Brooks. Let's show uh, the Tampa Bay headline one more time. For those of you who are just tuning in, uh, you take a look at it. It's above the fold, and it's um, right there on the right. And um, um, tricked into voting, charged with fraud. Beep. I'm sorry. I said charged with beep. So, um, oh, geez, I don't want to tick off the little algorithm that, that the YouTube boys have. But uh, there you are, front page. That came directly out of the research done by the Ward Scott Files research team. So it's, um, it is just, uh, let's put it this way, the jet engines are just warming up. This thing is going to become uh, more loudly and widely listened to, and it's taken a while. Uh, we, you know, but it is a story that has a mystery to it. You know, who did this to these people and why? I mean, you, you, you think they... They, you know, nobody really wants to, to, to own up. Now, there's, as I say, there's some guys going to take it to, to the court, and, and it doesn't take many to take it to the court, and maybe we'll get to the bottom of this. But uh, it is most interesting that there it is 
the, the exoneration of SOE, as Tim Martin is suggesting here, without any investigation. See, that's another strange thing. The, super, the, the state attorney exonerated the supervisor of elections before there was ever an investigation into the behavior of the supervisor of elections. Now, at least, there's going to be an investigation if these gentlemen who were signed up are sincere about having a court date and putting the SOE people on the stand and having them raise their hand. And that, that comes out to contradict the exoneration of the SOE by the state attorney. Won't that be an interesting twist? As my grandmother used to say, my, 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 what a long tail our cat has. Wow. Well, we'll see. We'll keep you posted on that. Uh, Ward Scott Files will take a little break here to thank our sponsors. I'll come back and bring you up to date on the weather. And then we'll launch into the definition of the beast mode. I want to talk to you about that. That is really interesting. So stay tuned. We'll take a break. Thank you. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help!
sound, check on your end and make sure that uh, your stuff is working. Because if you text me like that, I'm a little bit behind the narrative going. And so I wouldn't know it unless you texted me. So um, um, see where we are here with the sound. Getting the high sign. Okay, I guess we got sound. All right. Thank you very much. We got it. Well, you know, we've got the Thunder Boomers and we've um, now somebody else has said no sound, no audio. No, we're not. No sound. Working on it. Okay, now we got it. All right. Thank you. I don't know what happened. I don't control the production. Um, that's another world. It's not my world. So it must be a flip, a switch that wasn't flipped or something. I don't know. But anyway, I mean, re repeat. Uh, uh, coming in Lima, Charlie. Okay, thank you, Ken. <laughs> thank you, Ken. Uh, I don't know what switch wasn't flipped. But anyway, here we are. Um, really, the big story right now is kind of interesting the weather, you know, other than the fact that it's raining here and raining there and not raining here and raining. It's Lake Me. I'm really kind of interested in this. Of course, it's being blamed on everything in the weather is blamed on climate change. Uh, um, you know, and I'm going to get into that in a minute in the beast mode, but um, it's really significantly measurable that there's a drought in the West. And uh, as of July 18th, Lake Mead, I'm just reading here off of one of the web, weather websites, the lake was 1,041 uh, feet above sea level of Hoover Dam, uh, where the weather, where the water must stay above 1,000 feet to maintain consistent electrical generation. So the uh, thing is only 41 feet of water above what it takes to generate electricity. Now at the same time in July 2000, the water level was almost 2000 feet, which was still below the maximum water level of 1200 feet. Um, it's really remarkable. They've got some, over, some views of it here. The lake surface uh, has decreased quite a bit. Um, not much recreational purpose anymore can be had there. Uh, now they're claiming climate change, of course. Now you know what's happening. There are more and more people. There are more and more people. Uh, the declining water levels, quote, you can blame on climate change, but um, you have really got um, a lot more people moving into places, taking for granted that when you flush the toilets, there'll be water, or when you turn on the shower, there'll be water. There's nothing to guarantee that, you know. Um, it's just, it's just um, the, hey, limited quantities. If you're going to demand electricity out there, and it was a genius idea to dam up the, the rivers. I mean, my father was involved with that as a civil engineer, damming up rivers to create Tennessee Valley Authority, all that sort of business brought, you know, rural life out of a candle, if you will, into the actual electrical light uh, era. So um, keep your eye on that. I got to tell you, though, that there, there is a lot of hocus pocus in this climate change stuff. And I want to talk about the, the beast mode and what it is, what that title means, beast mode. Um, the It is basically the progressive Democrats urging Biden to impose their agenda, the progressive agenda by executive decree, okay? And they call it beast mode. 
What they mean by that is the administration, uh, Alicia Finley has written about this. A lot of people are picking up on this term uh, beast mode. And pay attention to this, because I'm going to tell you a story about how that worked here locally. Um, what, the, what Biden is being urged to do is what the Democrats want to do. They want to run around the Supreme Court if it doesn't give them what they want, what they want to hear. So he's being urged to bypass Congress. And here's some of the things that he's been urged to bypass Congress about. Student loan forgiveness. Uh, electric vehicle mandates, um, uh, clean power plan by Obama. Um, meanwhile, there's the justices, and they have a way of getting back at the justices, and I'm going to get into that in a minute. The justices are instructing lower courts to look skeptically on this administrative fiat. Um, we talked about this. One of the things that got Trump in hot water in D.C. is he was going to go after the administrative state by using Schedule F. And Schedule F was going to allow him to clean house in the protected cubbies and corners and nooks of the administrative state where all these staffers are who have cradle to grave job security and retirement there afterwards, of course, uh, from being uh, involved negatively in any of the things that they do. Because the staffers remain, the elected officials come and go. And if the staffers don't know what they're doing, um, um, then the, the, the elected officials certainly won't know. So the staffers hang around. They become the power group. And uh, they are the ones who are the administrative state. And they claim uh, they have uh, uh, power that they can uh, initiate through Oh, looking into uh, long existent statutes and, and, and Roe versus Wade is a perfectly good one. That's that's not a constitutionally supported. As you know, abortions not constitutionally supported. The court finally cleaned that up. But it was pushed into the world by administrative state. So right now, one of the big ones is student loan forgiveness. Um, they're arguing that by decree, beast mode, uh, Biden personally can uh, write off student debt. And we know what that is. That is uh, a kind of a bribe to get student votes. Um, so the Congress has expressed, ex expressly authorized the, like in the beginning, uh, the Education Department to issue student debt, but it didn't authorize them to cancel student debt. So isn't that interesting? Congress authorized the issuance of student debt, that is to say, letting these people borrow, but it didn't say they could skate on the obligation of paying it back. So now beast mode is going to try to put it into, uh, by executive fiat, a reality. Another one right now that's really causing all attention is this sneaky electric vehicle mandate. Everybody's on to that. We know it still takes fossil fuel to uh, create the power for the batteries, create the batteries, and, and that wherever that fossil fuel is, is going to pollute that area. Of course, they're going to stick that in countries that don't have any, uh, any, any, any way of pushing back. And the Clean Air Act 
authorizes the EPA uh, to regulate the emission of any air pollutant. So that's an Obama-Biden deal. So the Biden EPA has set exceedingly stringent emission standards and pushing the automobile makers into no choice between uh, the, the rock and the hard place. They have to make more electric vehicles, but you're still going to have to have fossil fuel generators to generate the power to build the batteries. So it's obviously something that is maddening and doesn't work. But if you can get it by Congress through executive fiat with uh, Uncle Joe up there um, at the helm, then what's your checkmate? Well, in Congress, it's been Manchin from West Virginia. But in the other part of this has been the courts who's saying you can't do this because you don't have the power to do that. It's a congressional action. Now, let me give you one of the things they're trying to do. They've pulled this before. The EPA wants to regulate your backyard. I don't know if you know this, but if you have a drainage ditch in your backyard, it can be construed by the EPA as a navigable water. Now, I had that happen to a friend. Uh, I, know, I didn't really know the gentleman, but when I was chair of the Rural Concerns Committee to the Lancaster County Commission, we have an environmental protection department. We didn't need one. We got a state environmental protection department, so we had double regulations. We had costs here from this environmental protection department um, that meddled in all kinds of private properties uh, rights. And I got a call one day. There was an old farmer who had an 80-acre farm, had been in the farming business forever, and he wanted to move a shed on the farm. And he did the right thing, which turned out, of course, to be the wrong thing. Unsuspectingly, he applied for a permit to move this shed. And he thought by doing so, he was a law-abiding citizen doing the right thing. And when the inspectors came out uh, to take a look at the shed he wanted to move, they said, my God, you've got a dry creek bed over there, right there. You need to fence that off. Well, the dry creek bed had been there for 100 years and almost never had water in it. Um, you know, the, the EPA said, well, do it. And you might, and the cows might stand in it, and they might poop in it, and then they poop in it. It runs back into the da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And they told this gentleman, you've got to fence off those 20 acres of that. Now, that's a lot of land of that dry creek bed. He was at his wit's end. He called us, and we didn't have any power to do anything because the EPA is a department here that this these commissioners commission. And so they went out and made demand fence up 20 acres of his land that he couldn't use, which was never, ever, quote, unquote, wet. Now, they could do the same thing with navigable water. And they have done it. The Clean Water Act authorizes the EPA to, quote, unquote, protect such waters. And the courts have interpreted its authority to extend to wetlands adjacent to navigable waters. So we're not just talking about all of Florida is a wetland. If you fly over Florida, you'll see that Florida is not a land with lakes. Florida is water with islands. The whole state's wetland. And so you could make the case that the whole state is a navigable waterway, and except portions, portions of it in the northern part of the state. 
uh, all the way along the high ground here, along the center of the state, the spine of the state. So uh, they've tried, EPA has tried and been many times successful in extending their regulatory jurisdiction beyond any kind of legal boundary. Now, the, the Biden administration has proposed just recently a rule that would empower the EPA to regulate any piece of land, regardless of whether it is navigable or water, that can, quote unquote, significantly affect the chemical, physical, or biological integrity of traditional navigable waters. Now, here's what that means. It would mean the EPA could play the, quote unquote, six degrees of separation. So farmers and home builders might be forced to obtain federal permits simply to move dirt around on their property. Do you get this? Do you get this? This is why what we call the beast mode. It's been going on since Obama became president and Biden is continuing it. And when the courts jump in and say you've overextended your bounds, you overextended your authority, your limits, then they want to do away with the courts. Uh, it, 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 is, uh, it is something that you, you need to be aware of. Uh, the, uh, uh, basically what it is is lawlessness. The runaway regulatory overreach by the EPA is essentially without any statutory authorization and has no rulemaking process behind it and is essentially lawless. Now, if you want to extend that into the general behavior of the left as being lawless, a lot of people do. That's one of the ways in which they characterize the progressive left. It's lawless. It doesn't want, it wants to throw out the Constitution. It wants to open the borders. It wants to have a feel-good society where spontaneity is the rule rather than staid uh, traditional forms. Um, so the courts right now are in the process because Trump successfully appointed a lot of judges of reining in these quote executive beasts. And uh, some of this is going to really be earmarked in the behavior of Manchin resisting. He's the only Democrat. Of course, he represents a fossil fuel state. He's the only Democrat that's really bowed up on this. Now, how is the, uh, how is it, something else going on that you need to be aware of? Okay, let me just check my messages here. Um, something else you need to be aware of. Um, there's this, this guy, Shift. Pencil neck or bug eyes or whatever you want to call him. Um, um, Russ Limbaugh hated the guy. I can't stand the guy because he's dishonest. He is absolutely going to take as much as you give him. If he takes an inch and he'll want a mile. He's a very sleazy character. So what he's up to now, he's going around on the talk shows trashing Clarence Thomas. And the reason they trash Clarence Thomas is because he is the one who has the longest, I think, tour on duty on the court right now. And he is the one who has the conservative originalist interpretations of the Constitution 
and they hate that. So now this uh, turncoat, Liz Cheney, um, uh, uh, a, a rhino, is uh, trying to subpoena Clarence Thomas's wife. Now, uh, this is supposedly related to a communication that Mrs. Thomas had with Mark Meadows, whom I know, whom I've met, who, nice man, White House Chief of Staff for Trump. And uh, supposedly, she urged Meadows to overcome what she claimed was a stolen election. Now, Schiff, disingenuous as he is, boy, you got to watch this character, on Face the Nation yesterday, said that uh, it was a dangerous precedent for a judge's wife to communicate. Now, mind you, we're not talking about the wife being a judge. You know, there are men all over town who, who are not, cannot control their wives' political opinions. I mean, it's almost an earmark of, of uh, disagreement. I know I can name you easily without easily, and I'll run out of fingers and toes, the number of guys who are conservative have liberal wives. And guess what? The liberal wives tell conservative guys what to do. It's, it's, I mean, I, I run into it all the time. So what these, these characters are trying to say, and this is the reverse of that, that she's a conservative and therefore, I guarantee if it were a liberal encouraging Biden to do something, it wouldn't be a word said about this. Not a word. So uh, what they're trying to say is that uh, uh, Clarence Thomas' opinion is a result of his wife's influence. And Schiff is implying that Thomas based his views his judicial decisions on his wife's opinions, even though there is absolutely no evidence for this accusation. Now, this is not, this innuendo is not atypical of Schiff. All through the so-called impeachment hearings, Schiff claimed there was Russian collusion. And he claimed this based on classic, information that guess what turned out turned out to be false there you are I can't stand that guy I cannot stand that guy he is he is absolutely one of the most dishonest people that I think I've ever seen publicly or privately and you have to be care very careful about him got one last story for you I read locally here in the sunset about a gun buyback by GPD. Oh, they're all so proud of this gun buyback, right? I mean, oh, the, you saw it in the, in the sunset today. Oh, we went out and had a buyback. You, hey, ask yourself what the cops do to the guns they buy back. Check that out. You need to check that out, okay? Maybe we do. We ain't got time to do it. But, but you know, you might want to see if any of them go out the back door. So in Minneapolis, this is from the Western Journal, 
It's an article written by Warren Todd Houston, and it's the buyback program. But it's not a buyback program about guns. Guess what it is? And it really called to mind on some of the things that went on in the Hearst claim for damages. Uh, according to the Neighborhood Scout, you know that Minneapolis went all in to defund the police. Uh, they took the position that the cops were the problem with crime. They sent Chofin up for 20 years. They sent the guy watched up for three. Uh, they made a hero out of, of Floyd who ripped off his own um, kind when he wouldn't pay, make good the $20 bill to the kid. He, he ripped, he didn't, he gave it to in the store. I've told you that story. So Minneapolis now is a very dangerous place to live. It has a crime rate of 59 per 1,000 residents. It has one of the highest crime rates in America. Um, there is one chance of becoming a victim of either violent or property crime, uh, one in 17, okay? This is according to research by something called Neighborhood Scout. Furthermore, violent crime has increased uh, in 2020. It's up 32% over the year. Uh, from And, and uh, despite this rise in violent crime, the city brilliant officials have slashed the budget for the Minneapolis Police Department by $8 million, okay? Meanwhile, crime is soaring, soaring. And what has happened is a kind of buyback program. Uh, some neighborhoods have taken advantage of a new program created by the Minneapolis Police Department where neighborhoods can schedule more police patrols if they pay for the overtime costs that the city won't fund. How about that now? So neighborhoods are paying the cops, the city, for their own private police force who are cops. It is called the buyback program. It consists of a contract between a neighborhood or organization and the department. The Minneapolis Police Department officers are then given the option to accept patrol shifts in these neighborhoods that are willing to pay overtime pay. So what do you think this has led to? It has been a boon to wealthy neighborhoods. Lori Hill neighborhood was able to raise $210,000 for extra police patrols. That money pays the cops $107 an hour for the patrols. Now, what do you think the converse of that is? Who can't afford to pay and who has had the crime go way up? Well, of course, the black neighborhoods and the poor neighborhoods and even the middle class neighborhoods that are struggling under inflation to buy bread and gas. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. The buyback program. There it is. Meanwhile, the police officers in Minneapolis are leaving the city in droves. The department now has only 564 active duty cops. Whereas the city charter says 
you have to maintain 731. And that's based on the census count. You know, you let these liberals woke take over things. You can ask yourself what kind of job they do. So what this has done, it's, it, it's resulted in the wealthy neighborhoods buying their own protection from the public the police department, while the poor and middle classes cannot afford to buy protection. And the crime, particularly in the black neighborhoods, is worse than it ever was. I swear. I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. It's just incredible. Well, let me check my time here where we are. We're at 9.58, so I think we'll call it a day. But you think about that. The buyback program. What a bunch of crap. GPD, the buyback program. If you're going to have a buyback, buyback program in Gainesville, I suggest you wealthy neighborhoods call up the sheriff because the sheriff has constitutional power throughout the entire county, including the city. Call up the sheriff and say, hey, We'll pay the overtime for guys to patrol our neighborhood and get the city county commission dupes to do the thing. And there you got a real buyback program. Have a great day. Tomorrow we'll have Phil Kirpin with us. And every Wednesday hereafter, my co-host will be Ted Yoho. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.